of Luke, and I'd like you to look at the 14th chapter with me, Luke chapter number 14. We good? Good. I didn't get instructions on how to press on, and uh, that threw me off there for a minute. You know, it's, this is a great church. I love coming to Memorial Baptist Church. Um, the first thing that happened to me this morning in coming was I had just opened the door to the car and one of the church buses was coming in on the parking lot. And I heard the king's kids singing, Jesus Loves Me. I tell you, that just touched my heart. I mean, it's even now I'm still trying to process the emotions. of it. What a wonderful place. A place that kids can come and hear about the Lord. And on the way there and on here and back home, they can hear about Jesus. Amen. Church ought to be an exciting place for us. Amen. It ought to be that kind of place to which we come and say, I'm going to get something here today. I'm not talking about a carnal treat. I'm sure the kids will get something in, in their coming. But that we come and we say, I found hope today. I found uh, reassurance in my heart. I, I found that for which my soul longed and thirst. And that's what this week ought to be. It ought to be exciting to you. The second thing that happened to me when I walked on the campus of the church was after I kind of dealt with some guys out front. No. Came in. And actually, as I came on up to the property, it was welcome home, welcome home, welcome home. That's, that means a lot. It means I'm not a stranger. I'm family. It means you can abuse me and kick me around and, you know, shove me, make fun of me. And No, it means that, that uh, I belong in your heart and you belong in mine. That's powerful. It, it takes a, a preacher who's going to try to look at the, the quest of 11 messages and, uh, and say, God, what is it that you want to do? What's the path you want us to walk down this week? What are you trying to do? And it makes me realize I, I'm on, I have home turf. I'm, it's a home field advantage. I'm preaching to people who I care about and who care about me, but most importantly care about the Lord. So it is good to be here. It's, I bring you greetings from Kim and from John both. And uh, both are in North Carolina, different cities. But, uh, but nonetheless, they're both there. They send their best. And uh, Pastor called me, I don't know when it was really, that he kind of let me know what the theme was. It's depicted here for you. Luke 14. And he shared with me his passion for the week. And that was that, that we consider that we are nothing more than servants. I don't like that. I'm, I'm somebody. Really, we're nobodies with the edges erased. I mean, we're a zero and we're nothing. You know, it's just, uh, if you drew a zero out and then erased it, that's who I am. You say, well, you're just a nobody preaching to us. Yeah, and I'm preaching to a bunch of nobodies too. We ought to desire within our hearts to be servants. So that's not how I'm wired. 
then you need to get rewired at Calvary. Say, well, I I am saved. I just don't like that servant idea. Then you've missed the point of who Christ was and what He looks for us. I'm not any more saved because I serve. Because I am saved, I serve. It's not a work of righteousness to say that I could claim and say, well, I do this and I do this and I do this and I, I serve God. I... It's about saying, there was a time that I was lost and he saved me. And I look at him and say, what, what can I do to express my love back? And that's what this week, I pray, will be about to you. When I first started studying this passage, I began reading just the segment, the section from which this statement comes, this, the thought of this statement comes. But you really got to look at the whole story. Now, if you promise not to get in a rush, I won't get in one either. And I say that meaning if the Lord tarries and we get to be here all the services this week, he hasn't returned. Now, I just want to take our time and walk through several of these things. All of them are under the big umbrella of, if I am a servant of God, I'll do what he wants me to do when it comes to the evangelization of the world. When I am a servant of God, I'll give like he wants me to give. I'll go where he wants me to go. I'll say what he wants me to say. I will do whatever the task is, whether it's menial or magnificent. Well, that worked out too, didn't it? Menial, magnificent. There was two M's. Someone write those down. I'll need that later. It's the idea of saying... I am his servant. I'll do what he wants me to do. Let's see how Christ got to this part of Luke 14, 23, verse 1. And it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. Pharisees, who are they? Well, it's kind of... if I. I'll give you my very simple, non-scriptural, non-Greek, whatever definition. There's like the self-appointed deputies of righteousness. They knew all 613 laws of Moses, and they sought to inflict at times, and apply at times, and force at times the adherence to these 613 laws. So these were the... I don't want to make them sound like church busybodies, but the kind of folk who just, they're never content unless they can manage your problems. Okay. They're not bad people. They are religious. Some lacked a relationship with the Lord, as this passage will in, in detail for us. But they, he goes to the chief, pre, the chief Pharisee's house, or of the chief Pharisee's, and he's going to share a meal. What are they doing? Instead of this being a hospitable environment, it's more of a hostile environment. They're going to watch him. What's he going to do today? Because this was a staged event. Watch what happens next. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. Um, the dropsy is not a condition where you drop things. It's different than that. 
Think of it as retaining fluid, edema, the, the idea that the uh, fluids have retained perhaps maybe from some kidney problem or perhaps a cancer of some sort. But nonetheless, he has the dropsy. And so they have brought him to him. Mind you, a couple things. One, he's in the Pharisee's house. Two, it's the Sabbath day. And three, it's a setup. They want to see what he's going to do because the law would say, don't work on the Sabbath. So now you get to the discussion of, is healing a work? Is healing labor? Because if healing is labor and he is going to work on the Sabbath, then he violated the law. You see what I mean? These self-appointed deputies of righteousness, the people who aren't satisfied unless they can manage other people's affairs but never once consider their own affairs? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, Sorry, Brother Will. I didn't lump you in there. Luke did. The lawyers and the Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? They held their peace. He took him and healed him and let him go. So he knows what they're trying to do and preemptively says to them, So is it? Is it lawful? Is it okay to do this? And they couldn't answer that because this was too big of a piece of work for them to manage. And so Christ heals the fellow. And answered them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? Christ ate their lunch right here because they knew that if the ox was in the ditch, and they knew from the Mosaic law, even if it's your enemy's ox... You're to pull it out. (laughs) So now what are they going to do? Christ is saying, this guy's ox is in the ditch. Now, I know some have used this to say, well, I'm going to work on Sundays because my ox is in the ditch. Now, I've seen some people shove their ox in a ditch. (laughs) But this is truly uh, a situation that's come upon him. And in this case, the man was healed which is such a minor part to the story. But can you imagine what it would be to be the guy that got healed? You were the token story to the Pharisees. You were the the snare, the trap that was trying to ensnare Jesus. And he comes in as if to say, okay, what's Jesus going to do today? Boom, healed him. Okay, what are you going to say now? Well, I can't say anything. And the bonus of this was he got healed. So Christ now teaches some lessons. Five, uh, six. They could not answer him again to these things. And he put forth a parable. Um, a simple definition of a parable would be maybe an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. There's a, there's a practical aspect to it and a spiritual aspect to it. Okay? Spoke a parable to those which were bidden. Now, when it says to bid, they were called to that meal. And when he marked, because watch what happens, when he marked how they chose out the chief room, saying among them, when thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable person than thou be bidden of him. And he he that bade him, bade thee and him come and say to thee, give this man place and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. When thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room. 
And when he that bade thee come and say unto him, friend, go up higher. Then thou shalt have the worship in the presence of them that sit at meat. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Oh. So what happened is, at this party, now that the healing is taken place, Christ watched. Wasn't the only time Christ watched. He watched, in this case, the places that people sat down. In another time, he sat in the court of women and watched how the people gave. Christ is observant, and he hasn't stopped watching. He still sees. So what happens is he watched how these people come in, and this must have been quite amusing, because as these folks, as, as it would be in this Middle Eastern environment, they would have the opportunity to sit down, and they would come, and there would be chief rooms and lesser rooms. Those of high prestige would go to the higher room. Well, the guys would come in and say, well, well, I, I, I got position, I got prestige, I'm going to go sit there. And Christ said, don't be that kind of guy, because then all of a sudden you're going to find out that the host comes to you and say, you're not as big as you thought you were, I got somebody bigger. And he said, the idea of this, and as he just summarizes for us in, in the verse, it said, if you're exalting yourself, you'll be abased. While this is not a primary teaching point, it is a teaching point. If we're going to learn how to be a servant, there's an exaltation factor you have to keep in mind. I'm not here to boast of myself. Let Christ do the exalting and let me just realize who I am. Not the primary teaching point. Just a point to recognize. Verse 12. Then said he also to him that bade him. Now he's speaking to the host. When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and recompense be made thee. When thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. So now, Christ, this is the host of the party. Or at least we assume so because it says him that bade him. And we're assuming that it be the owner of the home, the host of the party. And he says to him, look, if you're going to do a party, don't just invite the people who can pay you back. Don't just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to have a party and I want to be invited to your party. So I'm inviting you to my party. You say, Brother O'Malley, things like that don't happen anymore. Uh-huh. Right. First day on earth. I know. The truth is, is that it does happen. And he said, if you want to be generous and express your generosity, great servant principle, give to those who can't give back to you. Christ affirmed this same principle in Luke 6, 38. He said, it's nothing for you to lend, do good, or to... uh, uh, Oh, there's a third principle. It doesn't come to mind at the moment. But in Luke chapter 6, he talks about if we love... Those who can't love us, we're doing better than the heathen does. Because the heathen, what they do is they will love those who can love them. They'll do good to those who can do good to them. And they will give to those who can give to them. Christ said, you want to understand who I am? And this is kind of, it is, it's not kind of, it is a slap in the face. They thought knowing the 613 laws of Moses 
meant they knew him. And Christ is saying, you don't know me. You're exalting yourself. You'll be abased. And the people who abase themselves, they'll be exalted. It was counterculture to their thinking. And now he says, okay, you want to understand what a feast is about? Go invite everybody that doesn't look like they belong there. And then you've done something. Could, could I be a museum guide for just a second? I showed you a picture. Now I just want to show you some details or highlights. The religious crowd thinks they're in with God. And they think it's an automatic acceptance of the invitation by Christ having these right, the, the principles of righteousness and the laws of righteousness. And they think their understanding of the law is saying, hey, I've got this. We're good to go. And Christ is saying, but I've made a supper. And I've invited people to come to the supper. And those that you think that you're automatically in... Recognize this, I've offered a supper to the halt and the blind and the lame and those who cannot repay me back. Church, that's us. We're the ones to whom Christ offered this great feast of salvation. We're the ones to whom Christ has offered. It wasn't the religious crowd who thinks automatically, I'm in on this. No, Christ has made the invitation to all and to those of us who could not repay. And that would be all of humanity. For all of humanity could never pay the price of righteousness that Christ paid for us. Therefore, all of us are in on the same good grace of God. We've been invited to this and that is our crowd. That's to whom he is referring. So I continue with the narrative here and you all are not listening fast enough. (laughs) Verse 15. So we've gone to, let me just quick review. One, we have those that came into the room looking, fighting for the high chief place to sit. Christ smacks down the guests. Gently, but he does. He looks at the host and says, you want a real feast? Give it away to somebody who doesn't deserve it. Then he goes to a guy who's sitting nearby. 15. When one of them, and mind you, mind you, I'm headed to 23. I'm headed to our theme. Make me a servant. You're not going to understand this week. This is kind of like, This is like three parentheses in a row here, but let me give them to you and I'll come back to the original thought. You ever read a book? And in that book, there is like the pre-story, the prelude, the prologue, right? The beginning part. What's that? Okay, for your sake, Sky. (laughs) Introduction. Sky's in her happy place. It says in that that introduction, (laughs) prologue, it kind of gives you the story. It's the, uh, in the modern cinematography, you have a story that's told and then you have sequels. Then after they tell all the story they can tell of the sequels, they go back and they do a prequel. Think, who in the world ever heard of a prequel? The story before the story... 
Sunday school today is the prequel. It's the, it's the introduction to all of this. I'll say many times this week, make me a servant. I'll point to the matter. But you will have been here to understand this is how we got to that statement. Notice if you would, please. One of the men that sat at meat with him heard these things. I don't know if this means he's at the same table with Christ or he's at a nearby table, but clearly is adjacent enough for him to communicate directly to Christ. One of them that sat at meat with him heard these things. He, that man, said unto him, Christ, you got you to gotta put your uh, like super arrogant, uppity tone with this one. Kind of very uh, false piety. Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. It was his response to Christ doing this teaching on uh, humility and generosity. Both character traits of a servant. Humility and generosity. And so, Mr. Smug is there. I don't know why I looked at you, Alan, when I said Mr. Smug, but because that truly is not it. Mr. Smug is there. And he, he just rips one off like, I got this. I can summarize the whole thing. Because he's part of this religious crowd who's thinking, we're Pharisees. If anybody's going to heaven, it's us. We can recite the 613 laws of Moses in Hebrew. We got this. Christ all the while is saying, you keep missing it, you're missing it, you're missing it. So he comes off with this idea, kind of the, <laughs> the guy who knows it, you know what I mean? He's that guy and he says, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. So God says, okay, I got a story for you then. If this is your attitude to say, we're going to be the blessed ones, we're the crowd that's in. Christ tells the story that gets us to 1423. Then he, Christ, said unto him, the man who had this little, uh, can I call it a pontification? That kind of little speech that he gave as if to say, I've spoken, this summarizes it, I understand God. Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, okay, watch this. A certain man made a great supper. Well, that's funny. They're at a place right now where they're eating a supper because they had been bidden to the chief Pharisee's house. This will have striking similarities to what they are, where they are and what they're doing. And bade many and, set his, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. This is not exactly how we invite folks to parties today. So a quick lesson in uh, Middle Eastern culture. Okay? You got a guy who wants to give a party. So he has a servant. And the servant is sent to announce the invitation to say, there's going to be a party. This might be just a few days ahead of time. While he's out there announcing the invitation, he is also collecting RSVPs. Do we know what an RSVP means? I can't never pronounce it. I have to spell it. That's a joke. I know what it means. Where's my lady from France? Where's, where is she? Front row. 
say the words in French for us, please, for RSVP? Respondez, s'il vous plaît. Mm, bring it on. All right. That means send your response, please. Tell us what your answer is. RSVP. Okay. So the servant goes out there. He says, okay, I'm out here. My master has sent me to tell you we're having an invitation. A party. Come on. Bring it. You coming? Great. And he marks his list of who's coming. Okay. Now he goes back and says, supper's ready. This might only be a couple of days because by the RSVPs, he then is able to, the master is able to count of saying who's coming. He can kill that many cattle or whatever they're going to eat. They can have all the food ready. That responding to the invitation is the saying, count on me to be there. So, here we go. Now he says to those that were bidden, there was the first that he bade many. Now he goes back to that same crowd that were invited and confirmed they were coming. And he sent his servant at supper time, verse 17, to say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready, just a matter of a couple of days. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. Now keep in mind, the excuse-making crowd is the Pharisee crowd. Keep in mind the parallel here. They all with one consent began to make excuses. The first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground. I must no needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. What? I bought a piece of ground and I didn't look at it first? You know, when you pull out how to make good excuses book, the 101 top excuses to use, that one doesn't, is not even published in that one. Who buys property without looking at the Google even first? You might not have gone, but you looked at a piece of it. And you say, I want that or I don't. He said, nope, bought a piece of ground. Would you excuse me because I'm not going to come? You can imagine the servant's responsibilities. And hearing these denials. Verse 19. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. And I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. I'm a visual thinker, and this really messes me up. I can go eat or go stand behind a bunch of oxen. <laughs> Proving them. Eating. Working with smelly oxen. Eating. Working. I'm going to the eating. I already said I would eat. There you go. And so you look at this and you say, all right, now wait a minute. He said he's going to go to the oxen. Ten ox that he bought. Five yoke of oxen. Ten of them. I'm going to go prove them. Alan, does this sound reasonable? No. I mean, you're going to at least look at the cow before you buy it. You're going to prove them before you buy them. This doesn't make any sense. So the servant goes to the next house. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. You say, well, he's got an excuse. That's not an excuse either. These are people who said, I'll be there. And then when the time comes, they said, we can't come. Now, it's just been a couple of days ago they got the invitation. What, the guy didn't know he was getting married? <laughs> Work with me here. There's a problem here. 
all of the people who said, we're in, they're not in. So then the master calls the servant again. I want you to go out into the lanes and the streets. And I want you to get the people. And I want to have this feast to be enjoyed by people. So the servant goes out and there he is on the highways and, or sorry, in the lanes and the streets. And he's getting people to come in. He said, go get the blind and the halt and the ma-. It's a very interesting parallel to the previous story he just told. He said, go get those who look like they don't fit here. And bring them in. And the servant goes, comes back and he says, look, master, we went out there. We have gotten everybody. There's nobody left on the street. They're all at the party. There's still room, meaning there's sufficient food. There's places for them to sit. And then he said, go further afield. Go further, verse 23. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. So it wasn't just streets and lanes, but he said, Open up the circumference of your work. Go out further than you've ever gone before. And I want everybody at my table. What a story. And it's that verse Pastor West said. That's our theme. The servant responsible for going and getting more. And the Lord said to the servant... I look at the theme that has been chosen for this and I realize, make me a servant. It's a plea. It's a prayer. It's a life pursuit. It make me a servant. It, It defines our purpose. It declares our priority. It defines our message. It defines the method of how we're going to be. Make me a servant makes, reveals the fact I have a master and I have a mission and I have a mandate and I have a message. Make me a servant says I am submitted to the power of another. Make me a servant says I am submitted to the purpose of another. Make me a servant says I am sustained by another. Make me a servant says I am strengthened by another. Make me a servant says I serve another. Make me a servant is that one statement that we could say, I see what my master is trying to do. He's trying to reach the world. He's trying to get beyond the religious crowd and push this message further afield. Streets, Lanes, highways, hedges, compel them. Tell them I've got a meal for them. And yet the servant had to deal with the invited who refused before he went to the unintended and the uninvited. We don't have... Uh, I want to be careful how I say this, but (coughs) there is not an order or or a sect of the Pharisees today. Now, we've got a lot of pretensies, but we don't have the order of the Pharisees today. Our modern equivalent would be the very religious crowd. The religious crowd that says, I don't need 
And Christ said, my feast is a feast for the world. My feast is the feast that says everyone's invited. The ones that don't look like they belong. The non-religious crowd. The ones that were came from a, a life of horrid backgrounds and difficulties. God said, that's the crowd I want at my table. But how did they ever know? <clears throat> how did the people who were in the streets and lanes know there was a feast? How did the people in the highways and hedges how did they ever know there was a feast? In fact, how did the many that responded to say, I will come and didn't come, how did they know? Because there was a, somebody who said, I will be a servant. Someone who said, your message is my message. Your mission is my mission. Your desire is my desire. As a servant, can you imagine just in a practical sense, and that's the way I just want to deal with it for just a moment. You have your master. He's given you your mission. And you go tell the uppity-ups. You know, do you know what I mean when I say that? You know what I mean? The uppity-ups of the upper, upper crust. My master wants to have a, a supper. We'll be there. RSVP. Yep, we're coming. We're coming. We're coming. And I'm sure it was a very uh, procedural thing. Then the servant says, he's told, go back again and tell them it's ready. And they've got to hear the opposition of these excuse makers. Face the obstacles of these excuse, excuse makers. Face the obstructions that they are placing in the way. Oh yeah, I, I got married. I totally forgot. And now I can't come because I got married. I got five smelly oxen to stand behind and miss the piles of stuff and prove them. Oh, wow, I bought that land and now I got to go see it. Can you imagine the disappointment the servant would face in his heart? That's my master's message and they're not listening to me. My master wants them to know it's time. <clears throat> so he comes back and the servant is now, that's his second trip. His master, look, they've said no. The master said then go out into the, the streets and the lanes. The, these are the thoroughfares as well as the side streets. And you get into those places and you tell them, I want them at my meal. They might be bl blind. They might be halt. They might be lame. They may be deaf. They may be dumb. It doesn't matter. Get them in here. And the servant says, okay, this is my third trip. And I got to hang out with the non-uppity-ups. But Christ has never been about what you look like on the outside. Christ has always been about who you are on the inside. Modern vernacular. Find the pierced and the inked 
and the long-haired and the scruffy. Find the grungy. Find the derelict. Find the drug addict. Get them in here. Say, servant, you may be used to the uppity-ups, but i got to have some servants that are going to go find the down-and-outers. Because that's my crowd. They'll respond to me. And when the servant came back, he found out he got sent on a fourth trip. Four times just to fill the master's house. But I'm going to tell you, if you're the one in the highways and hedges, and you're the one in the streets and the lane, and you're the one who's been out there, outcast and rejected by all the spiritual crowd, you'll thank God for the day when a servant came your way and said, Come, the master's table is ready. So I wasn't invited. That's your invitation. Y'all come. You'll be thankful for the day that someone showed up out in the highways and hedges and you were out there and nobody knew you were there but God. And some servant of the Lord came by and said, My master wants you to come to his table. I know you weren't invited the first time. But you're invited now. You say, well, I don't fit that crowd. You don't know my master. Grace makes everybody fit at the master's table. So when I say to you this week, we're after the pursuit of saying, I will be a servant. Recognize this. We have the opportunity to serve God. Either you're a willing servant or you're not. Dear Father, thank you.